Good morning, good morning, and welcome to Overeaters Anonymous, a Vision for You Big Book Study, the 7 a.m. Eastern Time Meeting. My name is Monica T., and I am a recovered compulsive overeater. And today is Monday, March 5th, 2018, and today we are reading from the Big Book. We are in the chapter, More About Alcoholism, and we are on page 33, we will be reading the second paragraph that begins, Young People May Be, and just that one paragraph. And today's readers are the 12 Steps, KB, the 12 Traditions, Polly B. Our text readers are Harlan G., Craig F., Carmela G. Our newcomer greeter today is Kathy G., And the host for the second hour is Lisa H. And the share ID for yesterday, Sunday, March 4th, the special edition, is 11120, 11,120. OA Preamble. Overeaters Anonymous is a fellowship of individuals who, through shared experience, strength, and hope, are recovering from compulsive overeating. We welcome everyone who wants to stop eating compulsively. There are no dues or fees for members. We are self-supporting through our own contributions, neither soliciting nor accepting outside donations. OA is not affiliated with any public or private organization, political movement, ideology, or religious doctrine. We take no position on outside issues. Our primary purpose is to abstain from compulsive eating and compulsive food behaviors, and to carry the message of recovery through the 12 steps of OA to those who still suffer. Our sole purpose, OA's fifth tradition states, each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. At a Vision for You Big Book study, our message is that people who suffer from compulsive overeating can recover through abstinence and the practice of the 12 steps and the 12 traditions of Overeaters Anonymous. And I will now ask KB to read the 12 steps of OA for us, please. This is KB from Dade City, Florida, honored to read the 12 steps. One, we admitted we were powerless over food, that our lives had become unmanageable. Two, came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. Three, made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understood him. Four, made a searching and fearless moral inventory of ourselves. Five, admitted to God, to ourselves, and to another human being the exact nature of our wrongs. Six, we were entirely ready to have God remove all these defects of character. Seven, humbly asked him to remove our shortcomings. Eight, made a list of all persons we had harmed and became willing to make amends to them all. Nine, made direct amends to such people whenever possible, except when to do so would injure them or others. 10. Continued to make take personal inventory and when we were wrong, 
promptly admitted it. 11. Sought through prayer and meditation to improve our conscious contact with God as we understood him, praying only for knowledge of his will for us and the power to carry that out. And 12. Having had a spiritual awakening as a result of these steps, we try to carry this message to compulsive overeaters and to practice these principles in all our affairs. Thank you. Thank you, KB. And I will now ask Polly B. to read the 12 Traditions of OA for us, please. Good morning, Monica, and everyone on the line. This is Polly B. Grateful to be recovered in North Carolina, the 12 Traditions. One, our common welfare should come first. Personal recovery depends upon OA unity. Two, for our group purpose, there is but one ultimate authority, a loving God as he may express himself in our group conscience. Our leaders are but trusted servants. They do not govern. Three, the only requirement for OA membership is a desire to stop eating compulsively. Four, Each group should be autonomous except in matters affecting the other groups or OA as a whole. Five, each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. Six, an OA group ought never endorse, finance, or lend the OA name to any related facility or outside enterprise, lest problems of money, property, and prestige divert us from our primary purpose. Seven, every OA group ought to be fully self-supporting, declining outside contributions. Eight, Overeaters Anonymous should remain forever non-professional, but our service centers may employ special workers. Nine, OA as such ought never be organized, but we may create service boards or committees directly responsible to those they serve. 10. Overeaters Anonymous has no opinion on outside issues, hence the OA name ought never be drawn into public controversy. 11. Our public relations policy is based on attraction rather than promotion. We need always maintain personal anonymity at the level of press, radio, films, television, and other public media of communication. 12. Anonymity is the spiritual foundation of all these traditions, ever reminding us to place principles before personalities. Thank you. Thank you, Polly B. How our meeting works? Our meeting focuses on the directions for recovery described in the Big Book of Alcoholics Anonymous. We read a paragraph or two from the literature, then stop and share on what was read. Anyone can share but we ask that you keep your sharing to the topic and the literature that we are discussing and that you keep your share to approximately three minutes. I will be timing and will say time at three minutes. Singleness of purpose reminds us to identify as compulsive overeaters only. Our abstinent requirement for moderators is one year and for readers is six months. There is no abstinent requirement for sharing on topic. This meeting does request that you share and be directly linked to what was read. We are sharing what the directions in the big book mean to us. To share, press star 1 to unmute. 
And once you're done sharing, let us know by saying pass, then press star 1 to mute your phone. In order to have a quiet meeting, everyone's phone except the speakers should be muted. And today, we are resuming our study of the big book. We are in the chapter more about alcoholism. We are on page 33. We will be... Reading the second paragraph, young people may be encouraged, and we will be taking comments on that one paragraph. And with that, I'm going to ask Harlan Harlan G. (laughs) if he would read for us, please. Good morning, Harlan. Good morning, Monica. Thank you for your service this morning. I'm Harlan G., and I'm a recovered compulsive overeater in Scottsdale, Arizona. Young people may be encouraged by this man's experience to think they can stop as he did on their own willpower. We doubt if many of them can do it because none will really want to stop and hardly one of them, because of the peculiar mental twist already acquired, will find he can win out. Several of our crowd, men of 30 or less, had been drinking only a few years, but they found themselves as helpless as those who had been drinking 20 years. Now, let's take a look at what this paragraph is telling me. And this paragraph, once again, is taken from uh, Richard Peabody's The Common Sense of Drinking. Not taken verbatim, but the idea is taken from that book. And that book was quite influential, not on just, just this chapter, but on the book as a whole. And what is, the, what is this paragraph really telling me here? It, <clears throat> excuse me, it doesn't matter how old I am when I go over that line. In my case, I was wearing diapers and probably uh, before I had language when I went over the line. For some of us on the line, it was later in life. Some of us manifest this disease in anorexia. Some of us manifested in bulimia. And some of us manifested in compulsive overeating. But the bottom line is still this. The mental twist What is the mental twist? The mental twist is that part of my brain that cannot tolerate the pain, discomfort of not eating. And when I am not eating, I am so uncomfortable that my mind will drive me irresistibly into an Oreo cookie. And that Oreo cookie will grant me relief from the untenable, searing pain of not eating. And it will seek it out in search of the effect. What is the effect? The effect is that sense of ease and comfort that comes instantly by eating certain foods or certain amounts of foods. And there is nothing short of a spiritual awakening as the result of the steps that is going to lower the level of those emotions so that my brain will not be uncomfortable to the point where it will seek out the food. And so what I have here is another reminder that food is not the problem, that food is the solution to the problem for people like me. If I'm a person with, who is afflicted with compulsive overeating, There is nothing I'm going to do that is of this earth. No pill, no potions, no hypnosis, no standing on my head, nothing. 
Nothing is going to circumvent the peculiar mental twist. The only remedy I have is the working of the steps to affect a spiritual awakening so as to not be able to compulsively overeat for over 19 years and to have done so happily. And with that, I will pass. Thank you. Thank you, Harlan, for getting us started so greatly here. And who would like to comment on this paragraph? Young Charles people H. be encouraged. Charles. Julie M. And M. Say that again, please. Ann F. Ann S. Lori W. Laura W. Tenson. Okay, this is what I've got. I've got Charles, I've got Julie F., I have Ann, and you're going to have to give me your last initial when you come up. Laura W. Tenson. Okay. Rowan Charles, you're up. And then I'm Rowan. All right, Rowan. Go ahead, Charles, and then it'll be Julie. Thank you, Monica, for your service. Charles H. will cover compulsive overeater. This ain't star search, man. It don't matter how young, old, this disease comes to kill. Man, I don't take it personal. I'll take it serious. Um, I remember being in vision, just, just, just trying to chill. All these people are older, all they, they melodramatic. This thing comes to kill. It, 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 it's, it's a killing organism, man. This thing come to kill and conquer and destroy. You know what I'm saying? Coming up in here trying to dress up and look cute on the outside. The doctor's opinion tells me that the phenomenon of craving is listed five different times in the doctor's opinion. And I needed to pay attention. And I need to, to put the fool down. You know, there's so much references, right? Like, you know, coming up and saying, oh, I'm not that bad. I'm not that old. You know, I'm not that this and that. Many don't want to stop in here. I remember being going to Virginia Beach. I didn't want to stop. I just wanted to hang out and get popular and chill. This disease playing for keeps, man. It don't matter how old you is, how young you is. You know, thank God for some young people that's really getting the message, right? They really want to stop. They're really desperate. And I love them, man. I love the ones that don't want to stop either. I got some friends in Overeaters Anonymous that we, we de- it's deeper than OA. And I don't try preaching to them. I ain't trying to sound preachy. This ain't star search. This is, this is life and death for real. You know, what, what does Bill say wrapping up Bill's story and me wrapping up? Because I hate when somebody tell me time because I ain't, I ain't no keynote. I'm just a compulsive overeater trying to recover one day at a time. There's a deadly earnestness behind all of this. You know, we have fun and fellowship at conventions. But the real thing is, man, if I could just stay recovered one day at a time, I want that I pass. Thank you. Thank you, Charles. Julie F., it's your turn, and then it'll be Anne. Hi, good morning. This is Julie M. in Netherlands, Colorado, compulsive overeater, recovered compulsive overeater. Um, I want to comment on the last sentence. Several of our crowd, men of 30 or less, had been drinking only a few years, but they found themselves as helpless as those who had been drinking 20 years. Um, And what that tells me is that the minute that I ingested my first alcoholic food is when the allergy was started for me. Um, And so, you know, I can remember in my face-to-face meeting um, that I started 
uh, about six years ago, um, people talking about the event that triggered their compulsive overeating and, you know, that it was some big traumatic event usually. And my big traumatic event was when I was 12, yet I can remember compulsively overeating before that. And so it really confused me to hear about some event that triggered my compulsive overeating. What what this book tells me is that there is no event. It's it was it's in my cells from the time I was born. And what triggered it was the first time I ever ate the foods that I that I cannot eat. And so for me I know that happened as a baby. It it happened tiny, tiny and all the way through my life. Um and what I believe is that as the as life got harder, as traumatic events happened in my life, that's when the emotions were so unbearable that I dove into those foods that I cannot eat like a normal person. Um, And I grew up with drugs and alcohol abundantly available in my home, and I did not turn to those things. After my major traumatic event, I came home every day from school and I binged and I binged and I binged. All the drugs and alcohol were there. I didn't touch them. So um, that's all I've got. Thank you so much. Thank you, Julie M. Anne, you'll need to tell us your last initial, please, because I couldn't understand. And then it'll be Laura W. Yes, it is David Frank. Thank you. Um, yes, I related a lot to Jit Pavlat, and um, I put down alcohol when I was about 28, and I was able to put it down um, easily because I want to make a living team in judo, and I have platinum to make that goal, and when I went to AA, I read this story on page 42 and 43, and I was um, uh, caught it because I knew I had to do a compulsive eating, and I thought if I um, ever quit, go to AA and OA and and get a visit for you, I have um, I would win that, and I would be in the shoes of that man and to eat the to 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 die. And when I read that um I went back up for uh, ten years and came back five years ago I had so much talent in my brain thinking oh my God where to go to eat, what to eat. All I think about was my food. And finally, I quit that talent only by the great of God. And 
Now I have taken mine on age four years ago and not thinking about food all the time. And um, so it was easy. I was young and I was able to put out the food. But the Jew drought so progression. Now I seek it for it all. And it got so hard to put down to food. And I, I was easy to put down to food before. But it just like it said in that book, it gives to poor progression. And um, I never want to explain that again. God willing, I will not do that again. A lot more peace of mind and calmly come first to the book. Christ God, King House, help other people. And that's oh, what God. I did by all the time. Thank you. I'll pass. Thank you so much, Anne F. Laura W., it's your turn, and then it'll be Tense and P. Good morning, Monica. Good morning. Good morning. This is Lori W. in Atlanta, Georgia. Good morning to all of my spiritual siblings. Um, I just wanted to talk about a little bit about my experience and some of my observations about young people, and I know that they're thinking more of young adults, but uh, in my experience in life, um, I spent several years as an educator when I came out of the corporate world. And one of the things that stands out, and even now when I'm out in public and I see children, young people, um, that are kind of too old to be throwing tantrums, you know, that they're like five and six and they're falling out in the store and they're, they're not getting their way and they're stomping and they're whining. And, and I look at them and I just say a quick little prayer because I think, Hmm, potential addict one day of some sort. I don't know what substance they will pick up because at that age, in that stage in their development and on that plane, they have not learned or grasped or established ways to process their emotions and their feelings. I would always tell my students, you have words. Use your words. Please do not communicate with me with your emotions. Communicate with your words. And I said that to them because I needed to say it to, to myself. You know, don't go and vomit my emotions on people. People around me were not dumpsters for my, my garbage and trash. And so I reminded my children, and in doing so, I reminded myself, communicate with your words, not your emotions. And as a compulsive overeater and an addict, we have to be careful with that. And, and when we see children or young people who do not have skills, because that's, that's how I became a compulsive overeater. I have an allergy, but I also lacked skills. I did not know how to handle situations that baffled me. I did not know how to handle when someone mistreated me. I ate over it, and then I thought two hours later of ways what I should have said to them, what I should have done. And so as we grow in this program, we also have eyes and we become aware of other people's hurting around us and we see behaviors in them. And maybe it's not my duty to say anything, but it is my duty to pray when those things come up and I see them in other people and in young people. And I would just encourage us all, when we see children that are too old to be behaving in such a manner, 
that we, we offer a prayer on their behalf because they are people who are becoming maladjusted to life and they haven't even re- really begun to live it. And um, that would be my encouragement for us today. Thanks for letting me share. Have a great day, spiritual siblings. And I pass. Thank you, Laurie W. Tenson P., it's your turn. And then I'll be Roe Ann M. Good morning, everyone. So grateful to uh, hear the paragraph and to hear the shares. Um, Young people may be encouraged to think that they can still stop on their own willpower. Well, as a young person, I, I came into OA pretty young, and I didn't call it willpower. Um, uh, it was a, a very familiar silent struggle since the time I was a toddler that I had had, but it was so much a part of my whole landscape. I didn't call it anything. It was just seemed normal to me. Um, when I was in kindergarten, I boasted to the other children uh, that I didn't like chocolate cake. I was just in shame about how much chocolate cake I actually ate in private already as a kindergartner. And um, and much later, I used all kinds of ways to control not not only inner control, but physical things like smoking, pills, all kinds. But I'm really a garden variety compulsive overeater. Um, none will really want to stop. So, um, so for me, it was this inner battle. The rational part of me wanted to stop, but the mind of craving doesn't want to stop. And, um, the craving mind does have willpower also in the sense of determination. I did all kinds of things, driving at midnight, eating dangerously in the car, all kinds of things determined to get my fix. Um, and thank you, God, that at this point I'm able to channel that determination into working the steps of recovery. Um, And some of the 30, drinking only a few years, found themselves as helpless as those who had been drinking 20 years. Yes, this was my case. On the outside, my addiction didn't look so bad. I never went to high numbers. But but there was a lot of suffering on the inside, and it took me a long time to own that I belong here. I, 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 I belong with this recovery. So I find a lot of compassion and wisdom in this paragraph, you know, that the older members are thinking about the younger and really trying to help. So thank you for listening. I pass. Thank you, Tenson P. Roanne M., it's your turn. Good morning. My name is Roanne M. I'm calling from New York, New York, gratefully recovered compulsive overeater. I wanted to share this morning because I did also come in uh, relatively young to this program. And I think from my experience, um, it doesn't matter what age you come in. It matters how beaten down you are at at that point in your life um, and how much the disease has mangled you and how desperate you are, how willing you are to do the work and you know for me at least you know when I first came in the rooms 
I actually, I thought I was ready, but, you know, I actually did have some more research to do, it turned out, but I learned that it takes what it takes, and I don't regret my journey, because it brought me to where I am today, and it's just, it's all part of my path, but, you know, it says that people, people think that they can stop on their own willpower, and You know, it's just amazing, you know, the mental blank spot and how we think that we can control. It's the mental blank spot is the built-in forgetter where we forget what the the food does to us and only remember what the food does for us in that moment. And it's amazing how there have been so many countless times where I truly, truly believe in that moment that I can control the amount of food, of my alcoholic foods that I can consume. And that's the insanity of this disease And I can control with my willpower, with my self-knowledge that we learn in this book, self-knowledge avails us nothing, that willpower does not exist, at least my willpower does not exist for me with my alcoholic foods. My, eventually, I don't have willpower with my alcoholic foods. It gets beaten down, it gets beaten out of me by this illness after a certain amount of time. The delusion is that for a period of time, I believe I have willpower, I believe I have control over this illness, but eventually they tell us alcohol is our master and it eventually wins out. The peculiar mental twist already acquired, absolutely. The mental twist is the buildup of human emotions and it drives us into the food. And once we pick up the food, it sets off the physical allergy. And once we pick up the food, as we know, we will not be able to stop. Thank you for letting me share. Thank you so much, Rowan M. And for those who may have come on a little bit later, we are on page 33. The second paragraph, young people may be encouraged. Just that one paragraph. And who else would like to share this morning? Nancy. Craig, yeah. I heard Nancy, Craig. Lisa. Lisa. Uh, Say that again, please. Vivian H. Barbara E. Rosanne. Polly B. This is what I got. This is what I got. Hold on. (laughs) Nancy, um, I didn't get your last initial. Craig F., Lisa B., Vivian H., Barbara E., Russ, M., I think it is, Polly B. All right, let's go with that. So, Nancy, give us your last initial, please, and then it'll be Craig F. Yes, good morning, everyone. Thank you for your service, Monica. It's Nancy H. is in Hawk. And, um... I'm from Massachusetts, and I'm a grateful, recovered, compulsive overreader. And I can relate to this where it talks about young people because I joined OA when I was about 27. That was many years ago, and now I'm 70. So um, young people may be encouraged by this man's experience to think they can stop. 
I had so many periods of hope in my life from the time I was 13 trying to do this on my own willpower. And I saw my hope rise when I would lose the weight, and I saw my hope die when I would gain it all back. And so I pretty much am convinced that I cannot do it on my own willpower. However, my heart says that, but my head says, well, I've got to stop eating because pretty soon I'm going to be, you know, I'm going to be hurting if I don't stop eating. And I kept saying that for many times. And someone said to me, well, there's the problem. You keep saying, I've got to stop eating, and you can't. So because of that peculiar mental twist already acquired, and I had crossed the line a long time ago before I could um, say that I could eat like a normal eater. And so the mental twist definitely has gotten me many times. And when I, this last period of binging, when I got on my knees and said to God, I can't do this, I need your help, you know, please restore me to sanity. I cannot stop on my own willpower. And that's when I started to get the message and getting the promises of the program after recovering again. So I know for a fact that I can't do this on willpower. Um, you know, I had been drinking, I had been eating only a few years when I was 13. And, you know, I just, there's no way that I could stop. So for me, this is just to keep in mind that what I'm doing today, being abstinent, it has nothing to do with me. It has to do with my higher power giving me that gift. And my, I'm doing the 1% by putting down the food. And I'm much happier. I'm starting to feel the promises of the program. I'm starting to feel as though I don't have to try controlling it anymore. Now, controlling my life, that's another story. So anyway, um, working on not controlling my life and letting God do that, but I definitely have let God take care of my food. So with that, I'll pass. Thank you for letting me share. Thank you, Nancy H. Craig F., it's your turn, and then it'll be Lisa B. Hi, this is Craig F., recovered in Tulsa, Oklahoma. Good morning, everybody. Um, I, I'm reading this, and I'm thinking about this man of 30 that could that uh, found it somehow uh, in himself to stop for a period of time for, and uh, uh, then pick it up again when he retired. And, and uh, you know, I've always looked at that as a as a, an example of progression, and uh, you know how the disease progresses, whether we're eating or not, um, and. It occurs to me as I'm reading it this morning and listening to everybody that uh, it's also uh, a st- I wonder about how this guy's life was where he had it down. Um, if he wasn't living his life on a on a spiritual basis, you know, that's one of the things that uh, the, uh, it, it is, you know, when I say I'm grateful for this disease, I, I'm grateful for this disease because it drove me to my knees. I'm grateful for this disease because uh, without it, uh, my ego would would be thinking it was large and in charge. It would be large and it would think it was in charge. And I would uh, be living a fairly, a very unsatisfactory life. Uh, it, it, even if I was getting all the material things I wanted, it would be an unsatisfactory life. But because of the disease, because this disease uh, drove me to the to my knees. Um, you know, I I have to live a spiritual way of life. You know, I have to get up every morning and say, God guide my thoughts and actions, and show me how to be of service to you and others. And I don't have to. I get to do those things, and I I get to uh, I, I get to participate 
in this program. And because I do those things, I get a uh, a daily reprieve. Because I do those things, I I've had a spiritual experience sufficient enough to rearrange my thoughts and uh, my thought patterns and my emotions. And you know, if I'd have been able to put this off till uh, you know, just not to eat on my own. Uh, not only how miserable would I have been in the in the end, but uh, in the meantime, but in the end, it would be a uh, the disease would still be there in spades, ready and lurking, to, ready to kill me. And uh, I hope I made some sense. Without a pass, thank you. Thank you, Craig F. Lisa B, you're up, and then it'll be Vivian H, and then it'll be Mary B. Go ahead, Lisa. Oh, good morning. Thank you. Thanks for your service. My name is Lisa B. I'm a recovered compulsive overeater in Greenville, South Carolina. And um, I love this paragraph. I love all the shares. And the thing that kept going through my head is, Tag, you're it. You know, I was born with this malady. I was born with this mental twist. And um, the spiritual principles, the 12 steps, getting a food plan with definite parameters, and boundaries, really getting clear on what my alcoholic foods are and my alcoholic food behaviors, living within that uh, food plan, but then not just doing it with group support, really seeing that I'm going to die. I am truly going to die um, from this illness. <clears throat> it could be through suicide. I could actually probably commit homicide. And that's the thing I wanted to share on um, with this reading because it says um, – they found themselves as helpless as those who had been drinking 20 years. And this illness just, it waited for me to experience the effect of my substance, you know. And I immediately had the lights go off. And I knew, wow, this is amazing. I finally feel normal. But what happens is I die inside. I die inside through um, worshiping this illness, needing to have the food, needing to have all the outside substances, um, you know, uh, adoration of people, my ego has to be in charge, and I become really unhappy, and I'm convinced that it's all of the outside circumstances, and I have no idea that it's the illness of compulsive overeating that is untreated, and I'm thinking it's people, places, and things, you know, that's what I wanted to share on. It's amazing how this illness manifests through so many other things, and it says when the spiritual malady is overcome, we straighten out mentally and physically. And that's what happened for me. But I needed to meet someone in whom the problem had been solved, someone that shared the same first step as me and was willing to take me through this work and help me understand what are these spiritual principles? What does entire abstinence mean? And having the parameters of a food plan with boundaries and limitations and seeing who and what I really am. And that's, that's what I wanted to share. But the mental twist gets addressed with the steps and the allergy gets addressed with the food plan. And I desperately need the spiritual awakening each day. Thank you so much. I pass. Thank you, Lisa B. Vivian H. It's your turn and then it'll be Mary B. Vivian, we can't hear you. Star one to unmute, please. Hi. Okay. There you are. Good morning. Good morning. Um, as I was listening to everyone's stories, um, I had already had a spiritual awakening before I came into the program, 
And therefore, I was wondering why am I continuing to have this struggle with food? Because I felt like, you know, most of my problems had been solved. However, I had to take a look at who I am in him. And I just love uh, what he says about us. He says we are his child and we're adopted into his family. God loves you and God is for you. We are made in his image. He desires the best for us. He wants us to lean on him. He will give us the victory. We are more than conquerors through him who loves us. He's given us all power over our will. And he will save me from the desires of the flesh. When we seek him, I know that as we give him charge of our lives, he will give us the strength we need to get to go to him. We get to go to him. His grace is sufficient for me, and his mercy endures forever. Without him, I'm helpless. But with God, I can do all things. We can be victorious. And I have hope today that there is victory in the end for each and every one of us as we surrender our hearts, our minds, and our soul to him who is greater than all things, who created all things, who created you, and he loves you so much. And with that, I'll pass. Thank you, Vivian H. Mary B., It's your turn, and then it'll be Barbara E. Thank you, Monica. This is Mary B. Can you hear me? Yes, we can. Go ahead. Thank you, dear. Gratefully recovered in Central California. And as I look back, um, uh, let me finish that. Gratefully recovered uh, compulsive eater in Central California. I haven't talked for a little while. I get a little nervous still. I look back over my life as a compulsive eater in stages, and I was a fat kid and experienced all the trauma and bullying of a fat child, and um, no one ever tried to put me on a diet. They thought, someday, someday. And then as a teenager, when boys suddenly appeared on the scene, I started the process of binging and starving. And I was able to keep my weight down. Never got thin, but I got to wear what I call my normal overweight. Until I caught a husband and got married and uh, started to have babies. And then I passed into another stage, stepped over another line where I had to be an adult and responsible. And the binges got longer and longer, and my ability to starve any weight off got shorter and shorter. And I got into the depths of this disease. And as time went on, uh, I came into Overeaters Anonymous at 25. And I eventually reached a place where I could no longer get 
that sense of ease and comfort from the first bite. I couldn't get any relief from whatever it was that made me pick up the food. But I never left the rooms. And I came to a place where eating was painful. Eating was useless. And putting the food down was painful. But I soon learned that one was permanent and the other was temporary. Obviously, when I was eating, I was in the throes of the physical allergy because I was getting no mental relief at all. So that was my choice. I either go uh, stay in the pain of eating, which is permanent, or work the program like my hair is on fire, like my life depends on it because I knew then that it did. No doubt. And the pain that I had to go through in starting that long-term back-to-back abstinence was absolutely worth every moment. And I am totally convinced, thank you, I will conclude, convinced that only a higher power can put down an addiction through this program. Thank you very much for the opportunity to share this morning, and I pass. Thank you, Mary B. Barbara E., it's your turn, and then it'll be Russ M. Good morning, everyone. It's Barbara E. in New Jersey. My genes, my little baby Barbara, was predisposed to go to food for comfort. It really didn't matter why or when we started, as long as we finally realize that we do indeed have this mental twist. I know I did. When I went to the food, especially certain food substances, they gave me a comforted, content effect. I don't know why. I just know I have brown hair, brown eyes, and I'm a compulsive eater. I remember going trick-or-treating in my apartment house in New York City when I was very young. I rang the doorbell of an old-time actor named Basil Rathbone. Some of you may remember him. When he opened the door, he had a porcelain bowl, I remember it so clearly, filled with a rather sexy-looking candy. He looked at me and he said, you don't need any candy from me. Obviously, you eat much more candy than you should have. And he closed the door. I don't know that those were the exact words, but I was devastated. My diets, my doctors, my programs, my psychologists, my optifast, all the things I tried were successful, but then they weren't successful anymore. Nothing helped. Only through the tools and the steps of this program could and could a transformation be made in me, something that was absolutely vital and necessary. When I wake up every morning, I say this set-aside prayer, and I think about the words, and I take them into myself with the inner ear of my heart. They're not just words for me. 
Dear God, please set aside everything I think I know about myself, my brokenness, this book, my fellows, my disease, these steps, and especially about you, dear God, so that I may have an open mind and a new experience with all these things. My personal experience confirms that if I think I know everything, it will kill me. I don't ever want to be too smart for this program. Think I've got it made. I will never get it made. When I wake up every morning, I'm a compulsive eater. When I go to bed every night, I say, thank you, God, for another day. And then in the morning, I pray, I meditate, and I go to this wonderful meeting. You and this book and the steps and the actions are what keeps me going. Not just prayer, but actions too. This is a program of action. Thank you. I pass. Have a blessed day. Thank you, Barbara E. Russ M., you're up, and then it'll be Polly B. Good morning, Monica. Can you hear me? Sure can. Awesome. Wow. So I, uh, reading this this morning, you know, I think of my youth. Uh, as we're all doing, you know, we're reminiscing of how this uh, disease has battered us. And I think of all the times of self-will, self-knowledge, all the, everything, you know, being in myself, being so determined that I'm going to crush this disease. This, you know, this that has nothing, nothing on me, nothing on Russ, because I got it figured out. I have it figured out. I own this disease. And as that mindset went on and progressed, I became more battered more bruised up, more sick. My relationships were failing. And, yeah, I was gaining weight, but that was only a symptom of it, only a symptom of, of, the, of the destruction that was, that was uh, ravaged in my life. And, you know, I think sitting in here in a parking lot today, you know, I'm, I'm thinking, you know, about each and every one of you on this, on this line. And where would I be if I didn't, if I didn't, if I wasn't beat up enough, if I didn't have this disease, I wouldn't have you guys. I wouldn't have God. I would not have God in my life. And you guys, everyone is on this line or a part of it. And I'm getting freedom from that. And I know others are. And, and my, my point is, you know, I, 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 I wasn't young, really, relatively to what my disease did to me and how long I've been sick coming into these, this program. And I w- over my lifetime, I would see people, and I would say, man, I ain't like them. I ain't as sick as them. But guess what? I was worse. I was worse. So my point is that if I didn't have this program, if I didn't have you on the line, I would have no freedom. And I wouldn't have God. I wouldn't have God because you guys helped me out so much. And uh, to a newcomer that's on the line, Get with someone that knows this book. Don't BS yourself. Work these steps, and you can be free. Just be truthful with yourself and love yourself enough to tell yourself the truth. You guys are absolutely awesome. I, I don't know if I could do it without you. I love you. Have a great day. Thank you, Russ M. Polly B., it's your turn. Thank you, Monica. This is Polly B. Grateful to be alive, breathing, 
and recovered just for today. These sharings have been so moving, and uh, as as I've heard them, I've reflected about my history with food, my first memory, actually, sometime between age three and four, when um, food was, uh, I was nibbling a Ritz cracker around the circumference, which was the way I uh, got through Sunday morning waiting for someone to wake up. And uh, food was the solution to both uh, not having enough love and having too many feelings. I just wound up not feeling much of anything, and the goal was not to feel hungry and not to feel stuffed. And that's how my slow suicide started. Food was actually uh, the vehicle. It was also the metaphor for what I had and didn't have. And in many ways, food helped me not die from other addictions. And the other addictions uh, helped me or delayed me from realizing that my first and last addiction was food. And uh, only after about 60 years since that, less than 50 years since that first memory did food eating, eating behaviors become manifest as the addiction. And uh, by then I was completely out of control. My life was unmanageable. And I just juggled uh, four out of the original six addictions and uh, no longer had any bugs from anything. But it took me 10 more years to come into the rooms. And and as the last person shared, had it not been for the food and the behaviors and the other addictions and actually falling apart with nothing working at all, including my body, uh, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't have had the experience that I've had in the past year plus of a spiritual awakening, awakening of this community and a program that works and of recovery and every day uh, with a respite, one after another, and confirmation that there's a higher power for all of us and it's a matter of unpeeling the layers in order to see that it was here within and all around me always. And I will pass with that. Thank you. Thank you, Polly B. And we have come to the end of our time once again, so quickly here this morning. And thank you to everyone who has shared. Please join us for a second unrecorded hour of study immediately following closing. And today's share ID for March 5th is 11,121. One, 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 two, one. We will now close with the reading from the big book on page 164, followed by the serenity prayer. And Craig F., would you read for us, please, from A Vision for You? Yes, I will. This is Craig F., recovered in Tulsa, Oklahoma. Our book is meant to be suggestive only. We realize we know only a little. God will constantly disclose more to you and to us. Ask him in your morning meditation what you can do each day for the man who is still sick. 
The answers will come if your own house is in order. But obviously, you cannot transmit something you haven't got. See to it that your relationship with him is right, and great events will come to pass for you and countless others. This is the great fact for us. Abandon yourself to God as you understand God. Admit your faults to God and to your fellows. Clear away the wreckage of your past. Give freely of what you find and join us. We shall be with you in the fellowship of the Spirit, and you will surely meet some of us as you trudge the road of happy destiny. May God bless you and keep you until then.